Hi everyone, welcome back to this series on Judges and today we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 10 and we're starting to think about uh, the story of Jephthah. Now one of the things about God is that, that people often sort of struggle with is thinking about the difference between judgment and mercy. You know that we, we know that God is, is just and will judge, you know that he, he is um, righteous and holy, but we know that God is also merciful and, and God is also forgiving. And I think those two things often are, um, people struggle with putting those two things together. You know, there's a tension, isn't there? You know, that how can God be merciful if he's just? And how could God be just if he's merciful? You know, how, how do we put those two aspects of God's character to, together? And I think that's what we're starting to see here in Judges. And I think this is a, a good chapter for us to look at, to think about those kind of issues, about justice and mercy and, and how those two things uh, relate. Uh, so that's what we're going to be, be thinking about. We're looking at Judges chapter 10 and just to remind you as per usual that we're not going to be uh, reading through, I'm not going to read through the whole chapter. Uh, if you want to look at the chapter in advance then um, pause the video here, hop down to the description, expand the description down below, uh, click on the link to Bible Gateway and you'll be able to read the chapter or listen to you know David Suchet read it to you or whoever and then be able to pop back onto this video. So um, it's not actually a, a long chapter today, Judges 10, 1 to 16. So um, this chapter begins actually with two judges that we don't really know very much about. In fact they only get about two or three sentences each, Tola and um, Jair or Jair, I'm, I'm not sure how you're supposed to pronounce it. Um, but um, uh, Tola, it says, after the time of Abimelech, and Abimelech, we uh, we, we actually didn't have a video on that, um, but in the previous chapter, it's all about the, the disaster that was uh, Abimelech, uh, Gideon's son. And uh, it says, after that time, then God, he um, brought a man called Tola, son of Pua, the son of Dodo. He, he rose to save Israel. And um, I think it says something about God's character that even after the events that happened with Abimelech, that God was still kind and merciful and God still brought someone up, a judge, uh, to save the people. Uh, but Jair, he, um, he was followed by Jair of Gilead, who led Israel for 22 years, and he had um, 30 sons who rode 30 donkeys, and they controlled 30 towns in Gilead. Now, uh, how do you think he had so many sons? Now, how many wives do you think he had? And this is the thing that, you know, Gideon, he was a man who you know, he didn't want at the end of the day, he didn't really want to be king, but he lived like a king. He had the privileges of being um, being a king, all the wives, um, um, even calling his, uh, his son, and my father is king. You think, Jair, he's seems like he's living in, in a similar way, you know, enjoying the privileges of kingship. So I think even in, in these two short uh, episodes, two short judges, I think we see both the mercy and the kindness of God, as well as the, you know, the, the, the human heart, as well as the, you know, that things just don't improve. You know, that, that human beings just ha have this kind of tendency to want to do uh, the wrong thing, like, uh, like Jair. And so then this is uh, leads into the story of Jephthah. 
and it says in verse 6 again and you know reading this as we've been reading through going through judges the word again comes up many times and you think whoever's uh, narrating this you know must be just shaking their heads every time they write again you know again they just never learn i'm sure that uh, you have resonances with that in your own life you know i mean I, I know that i certainly do there are many things that that i've done where i just can't seem to break out of it uh, and and this is the case with israel that the people of israel at this time again they did evil in the eyes of the lord but what did they do that was so evil and this is where I, I thought it was interesting because it, it talks about serving the Baals and the Asterisks, the gods of Aram, all different gods. Now they committed idolatry. <clears throat> and you think, isn't that interesting that that's the thing which the writer of Judges focuses on? You know, he doesn't focus on all of the immoral things, the um, kind of other Ten Commandment breaking. So, of course, loving God is sort of number one on the list. Or one and two on the list but uh, the rest of the Ten Commandments that we we see and we think of you know murder adultery theft and coveting all that that kind of thing we don't really it doesn't go into that and I think that says a lot about God's priorities you know that um, we see idolatry as kind of being almost like a lesser sin you know because it's hidden we see idolatry as being like at the bottom of the list. But actually God sees it at the top of the list and that the, the thing that he most wants us to do as human beings is to love and worship him. In a sense, that's more important than the, the other things on the Ten Commandments or you know the other ways that God wants us to live. Although those things are, are important too, but the most important thing is to love and serve him. And that is the fountain of everything else uh, and you know this kind of idolatry it's you know we often think about it as um, well it happened actually just a week or two ago there was a Hindu temple from uh, from East London I think and they've the last few years they've been coming out to, to Clacton to this town here and they have been um, putting a the um, a sacrifice to the elephant god Ganesh into the sea or an offering or something and um, you know sacrificing to their their god and we think of idolatry as being a bit like that perhaps you know there oh there's a god there's an idol but actually idolatry is serving and loving um, anything else other than god you know putting anything in god's place and and that could be money it could be career it could be fame it could be all sorts of things um, we can idolize anything that is what idolatry is. If, if you want a book about this, then I really highly recommend Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. Counterfeit Gods. It's a great book, really probing into what idolatry is and looking at why it's so harmful. So I think what this does is, is it reorients our perspective. You know, it helps us to see through God's eyes, if you like, to see our lives through God's eyes and see if, if it measures up. You know, how are we getting on? Do we worship other gods and do we kind of put our hope and trust in things other than God and it's an important uh, important thing that we need to be be thinking about so um, so the Israelites then they um, they cry out to God in verse 10 the Israelites cried out to the Lord we have sinned against you forsaking our God 
and serving the Baals. So they cry out to God in the same way that they'd done before. And you wonder, you know, were they really penitent? You know, my little uh, two-year-old girl, she's getting to the stage now where she is learning about the word sorry. So she's, um, when she's naughty, she does something naughty. And sometimes we say to her, you know, well, what do you say? And she'll say, sorry. And I'm not sure she really understands at the moment that sorry is means that you actually need to, to do something about it. You know, need to try and, uh, and stop doing it. You need to do something else. I think at the moment she thinks uh, sorry is just the magic word which gets you out of trouble. And I wonder if the Israelites were seeing it as a bit like the, the magic word that gets you out of trouble without really turning. I, I don't know. It's hard to tell, isn't it? Um, but either way, God, he replies to them and he says, well, when all of these people oppressed you and you cried to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. Those are, are terrible words to hear, aren't they? You know, you've made your bed, you go and lie in it. I think those are those would be terrible things for, for anyone to hear. But to hear them from God, to hear them from God having um, served other gods and realising the mistake, to hear God say, no, you, you chose, you made that choice, you live with it now. And imagine uh, hearing that. And uh, it made me think a bit about the sin of presumption, actually. You know, just thinking that there is a one of the sins which we don't really talk much about these days, but they probably would have talked more about in years gone by. It's called presumption, and and it can it's sort of embodied in in what um, a French um, sort of poet said um, a couple of hundred years ago. He said, "Of course, God will forgive me. That's His job." It was um, Heinrich Heine. Actually, I think he might have been a German German poet. Um, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Of course, God will forgive me. That's His job. That's the kind of attitude of presumption, of just thinking, you know what, God's going to forgive us because it's his job. And if we say sorry, then God will forgive. You know, isn't that great? And then we can just live however we like and then we'll say sorry and God will forgive us and, and it's all great. I, I honestly think this is one of the besetting sins of today, you know, that people think that God will forgive regardless now, people think that God will, will just simply forgive us and uh, we don't have to worry about amending our lives or at least, you know, we don't have to worry about amending our lives too much. But uh, I think the message from the Bible is that that's a very dangerous thing to think and that we must never presume upon God to, to forgive. You know, we must never presume that God will just simply uh, forgive us. And hold that thought because we'll come back to that in just a moment's time. Um, but what the Israelites then do is so they, they, they cry out again and they say, we have sinned, do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord and he could bear Israel's misery no longer. So they cry out to God again, but this time they actually get rid of the foreign gods and, and they serve the Lord. And you wonder, does that indicate that they have genuinely repented? 
does that indicate that they are genuinely sorry? You know, they're not just crying out to God kind of a, because they're, you know, they don't like their situation, but they still want to hedge their bits and have all these foreign gods as well. But no, they actually did the thing. They actually got rid of the foreign gods this time. So I think it seems to be a, a genuineness of repentance. And, and it says God could bear their misery, their, their suffering no longer. I think it gives you an insight into the heart of God, actually. You know, that so often when we go through hard or, or difficult times, we think, oh, God doesn't care about me. You know, but actually he does. Actually, God does care. And he never lets us go through hard and difficult times for no reason. And whatever the, the reason may be, God does care. And we see that here and we see that all over the Bible. God hears and he cares for his people. Really important to, to remember that all the time, especially when we're going through harder times. So just to, let's just put, to, put this to, to a conclusion then, bring this to, to a conclusion. God is merciful. God does forgive. God does save even when we don't deserve it. But we mustn't presume upon his forgiveness. And what, what I mean by that is we mustn't kind of um, presume that uh, our repentance need not be genuine. So let me read you um, Jude verse 4. Jude is a very tiny book right at the, uh, the end of the Bible, just before the book of Revelation. It's only about one page of it. Uh, and so there's no chapters, it's just verses. So Jude verse 4, uh, which says, let me uh, flick back a couple of pages. Um, Certain individuals whose condemnation were, was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. People who pervert the grace of God into immorality. And this is, this is what, uh, it, I say this is what is happening in the church. There are certain places where it is happening, where people say, you know, well, God is gracious, Therefore, you don't have to worry about how you live. God is gracious. Therefore, sin doesn't really matter. You know, we can just agree to disagree. Now, one of the big areas at the moment, of course, where this is happening is in the area of, of sexual immorality, where things which were traditionally considered immoral uh, in the Christian tradition are now that's being called into question. And I would say, you know, I'm not going to really go into that subject at the moment. But what I will say is that we can't just agree to disagree on this. This is a serious business because if something is serious enough that God calls us to repent, then he's not simply going to forgive us if we go headlong into that, that particular thing. And, and that's a very serious place to be. So we have to, uh, I think what the message of this is saying is that there's a difference, you know, that yes, God does forgive us, but there has to be a kind of uh, a genuine repentance, a genuine desire to change. You know, knowing that, knowing that we can't do it ourselves, but knowing that uh, we need God and, and seeking him, seeking his repentance and asking him to help us. You know, it's the, so it's not saying that we have to do it all ourselves, but rather do we seek God for forgiveness and seek God for his help and his power in changing us. 
So where I wanted to finish with this is thinking about Jesus, because we know that judgment and mercy really only make sense when we look at Jesus. How so? Because Jesus is the one who, upon whom the, the judgment of God fell. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, he was dying for our sins. It wasn't the nails that held him on the cross, but it was, it was my sin, in a sense, that, that held him on the cross. It was my guilt that, that killed him. And it was, uh, it was for my sin that he died and the sins of all those who believe in him. So that's where the judgment comes in. But the mercy of God is that through that we can receive forgiveness of sins and through that we can live his risen life. And that means that we now have a new power to defeat this kind of spiral of sin, which we read about all throughout Judges. It just kept on getting worse and worse and worse. But we have the risen life of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus says, abide in me. Now, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. And that's the wonderful good news. You know, when we abide, when we remain in Jesus Christ, then we can bear fruit and then our lives can change for the better. Now, so that sin doesn't have to have the last word, but that the grace of God through Jesus Christ has the last word in our lives. And one day we will be transformed and we will see him as he is. So judgment and mercy is not an easy thing to think about the, um, the two things, but they were brought together in Jesus Christ on the cross. And that is where we see the judgment and the mercy of God meet. Judgment, because the righteous judgment of God fell on Jesus, but mercy because he died for you and me. And he died that our sins may be forgiven and that we may live a transformed and changed life uh, for God. I hope that you've enjoyed this video. Please do click the like button down below if you've enjoyed it. And please do hit the subscribe button if you'd like to see uh, more videos like this. I do this about once a week. And click on the bell icon if you want to be notified. YouTube do that now. If you want to be notified of a new video, you have to click on that icon as well. So thank you very much for watching. I do appreciate it. And I hope to see you again for another video very soon. And hopefully there'll be a bit less background noise in that one. Thanks very much. God bless.